We on? Well, it's good to be here again. Uh, I feel like every time I preach here at Christ Church, God sends a heat wave. So uh, I'm excited. I'm John Mata. Uh, I'm the intern here as of two weeks ago. And before I begin, I thought I'd just open, um, as a lot of you know, I'm going to be working with the youth and young adults here at Christ Church. And part of my internship is I need to uh, raise about half my salary. And so if you'd be interested in giving, um, I'd be happy to talk to you, or you can email me, or I bought the URL, johnmata.org. If you don't want to talk to me, but you want to give, you can literally go to johnmata.org. It'll forward you to the the donation link. That's not a joke. I really did buy that. (laughs) All right, well, here's uh, Revelation 6. Now, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say, with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering, and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that the people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth, to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witnesses they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a a white robe and told to rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, today we um, 
see a particularly challenging text in Revelation 6. Uh, I just ask today that you would be present with us. Um, help us to understand and to hear what you have to say to us today in the book of Revelation. In Jesus' name. Uh, well, we've finally arrived at chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, and I'm sure at this point many of you have sort of managed to follow uh, where we are at at this point in the book. In verse 1 uh, of chapter 1, we saw the purpose of the book of Revelation. That is, this book was given to the first century church so that God might show to his servants the things that must soon take place. At the end of chapter 1, we see God command John to write, therefore, the things you have seen, right? So this is a vision, those that are and those that are to take place after this. In other words, the book of Revelation is John's writing down of a vision he saw that described things that had happened, things that were happening, and things that would happen, the way that a first century reader would have understood the purpose of this book was based on uh, chapter 1, verse 19, is that uh, some of the things they were hearing were actively taking place in the first century, hence those that are. Other things were going to take place, and I think that this is important for understanding uh, the direction of the book of Revelation, uh, but especially chapter 6. In chapters 2 and 3, we see John writing seven letters to seven churches. And at the end of each letter, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this, of course, uh, reminds us again of the introduction of this book, where it says that blessed are those who hear this book and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And so I would ask, as we begin, I would ask you to consider, are you listening today? Are you listening what God's word has for you? And if not, I, I invite you to begin to listen, uh, particularly for a text as challenging as today's. Finally, chapter 4 and 5, and this leads us into, I think, the challenge of today's text. At the beginning of chapter 5, it says this, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Friends, if Jesus really has conquered, if he really has ascended to the throne, and he really is worthy to open the seven seals, why the four horsemen? Why all of the calamities in today's text? How can we say that Jesus has conquered in light of all the calamities we endure? How can we say Jesus has conquered in light of all the calamities we endure. I'll tell you how. Jesus is sovereign even over the calamities we endure. He brings comfort to those who cry out to him, and he will take vengeance upon those who flee his gentle care. Jesus is sovereign even over the calamities we endure. He brings comfort to those who cry out to him, and he will bring vengeance upon those who flee his gentle care. Well, if chapters 4 and 5 uh, refer to the ascension and enthronement of the Lamb, and I think that this is what first century readers would have been thinking about as they were hearing this letter read to them, 
And I think it naturally follows that the calamities which we find in verse 1 through 8 are unleashed following Christ's ascension. In other words, a first century reader who is experiencing persecution would have readily identified with many of the calamities that were taking place in this text, as much as you or I might. And while on the one hand, these calamities were unfolding before the first century church, on the other hand, there is a sort of cyclical nature to them, right? Wars and rumors of wars. They had those then. We have those now. But as early as the, uh, chapter 7 of the book of Acts, uh, we see the first martyr. And then even before that, we see the church being per- persecuted, right? Events like this would have been actively in the first century hearer's mind as the book of Revelation was being read to them. And like much of the book of Revelation, the four horsemen are an allusion to the Old Testament. First, in Zechariah chapter 6, we see that the Lord sends out four groups of horses who mirror the colors of the horses in Revelation 6. In Zechariah, the Lord sends these horses uh, around the earth to judge those who are oppressing the people of God. And then the calamities mentioned in Revelation 6 are also an allusion to the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 14, one commentator describes these punishments as punishments which come on nations in general when they are unfaithful to God, and their purpose is to punish the majority of the nation because of its sin and simultaneously purify the righteous remnant by testing their faith. In other words... The calamities mentioned in Ezekiel and therefore in Revelation have a twofold uh, purpose. First to judge and then to purify. Right? So in Revelation 6, these uh, calamities are intended as judgment upon those who reject Christ and purification for the church. Finally, because these uh, judgments were only partial, and we see that in the fourth horseman where it says he was given authority over only a Uh, a fourth of the earth. Uh, There's a sense in which uh, because of the unleashing of this judgment is only partial, it serves as a warning to those who have not yet come under its judgment. In verses 1 through 8, we see the opening of the first four seals. And after each seal comes a horseman, right? The lamb opens the first seal, and from the throne room, you hear the voice of one of the four living creatures cry, Come! And out comes a white horse. Uh, This text uh, describes the rider as one who has come conquering and to conquer. And I think that this language is picked up elsewhere in the book of Revelation. And when we see it, it refers to those satanic forces which are oppressing the church. And I think that this is consistent with verses 9 through 11, again, where we see the martyrs of God slain for the sake of the gospel. The second seal. The second seal is opened, and from the throne room you hear, Come, and out comes the red horse, and with it peace was taken from the earth, so that people could slaughter one another. Some take this as the presence of civil strife simply, and I certainly think that's part of it. But I think in the broader context, again referring to verses 9 through 11, uh, um, what's in view here is the slaughtered and persecuted saints mentioned in 9 through 11. Again, the third seal is opened. Come, 
And out comes the black horse, and its rider is holding scales in his hand. This particular horseman, uh, I think, represents times of famine which afflict all people, right? But also, I think, economic persecution which would fall upon the first century Christians, right? In the ancient world, scales were used to weigh food in times of scarcity. Furthermore, the prices here in verse 5 speak to the inflation of the cost of goods about 10 times their average cost, right? So imagine if a loaf of bread is worth $30 or a gallon of gas, more than $30, right? These inflated prices refer to the economic oppression Christians experienced when they refused to give allegiance to the deities of the Roman Empire. Finally, the fourth seal. Come, and out comes the fourth horseman who is pale like death. I think that the fourth horseman operates as a sort of summary of the previous three because we see all of the calamities mentioned are repeated. And it also describes the fourth horseman, death and Hades, as being given authority over one-fourth of the world, which is to say... It's not that all these things will affect all these people everywhere constantly. Rather, some will experience these things even unto death. G.K. Beale uh, reflects on these first four seals in this way. He says, The opening of the first four seals is intended to show that Christ rules over such an apparently chaotic world and that suffering does not occur indiscriminately or by chance, right? So these calamities that are occurring in Revelation 6, 1 through 8, occur in a mysterious way under the sovereign hand of Jesus. So also with us, Christ Church, there's a mysterious way in which the calamities we endure, particularly the calamities we endure at the hands of other people, are ordained by the sovereign hand of Jesus for our good. I think the, uh, I wrote this sermon uh, before this, but I think the cultural elephant in the room here is the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and I admit I feel particularly unqualified to say anything helpful about that, but I do have a brief personal story uh, that might help us understand verses 1 through 8. About four years ago, I lived, or I lived in Minneapolis and worked at a restaurant, and I had just gotten a job at this restaurant, and it was fine dining. I'd never worked in a restaurant, and my primary emotion was fear, right? What if I get fired because I'm bad at this job? Or uh, what if I embarrass myself in front of these wealthy and influential people, right? What if my coworkers think I'm a total buffoon, right? Eventually they would. Just kidding. Well, right around my first week, a coworker who knew I was a Christian asked me this, She said, what kind of Christian are you? And I said, I don't really know what you mean. And she replied, well, are you a liberal or a conservative Christian? And again, I said, I really, I don't know what you mean. And and then she, she replied, well, what do you think about abortion? And I'm ashamed to admit, I did not want to have this conversation. I was not ready for this conversation. And so my reply was, well, I think it's unfortunate that the particular individuals that abortions target 
are those most vulnerable in our society? And her reply to me was simply, well, I'm glad I asked. Now I know we can't be friends. On the one hand, as I've reflected on that moment, I thought about how God had used it in order to help me overcome my fear of man's opinion of me. On the other hand, I also wonder what could have been said had I not been wrapped up in what my coworkers thought of me, right? What was going through my head was, what can I say that will be true, but also minimize this person's dislike of me? Instead of, what led this woman feeling this particular way about this particular issue, and how can I meet her with the good news of Jesus? But if God can use uh, my buffoonery to help me overcome fear of man, then can't he use calamities we endure for our good as well? The chaos which the church was enduring was not by happenstance. In a mysterious way, it was ordained by God for their good. So also with us, the suffering we endure, even the suffering that's not our fault, is not happenstance. Rather, Jesus is sovereign over the calamities we endure. I think that this can be um, a difficult idea for many of us, right? Uh, and so I like to frame it around the center of the Christian faith, right, which is the cross. On the one hand, the crucifixion was the most heinous crime humanity has ever committed. God made flesh hung on a cross. On the other hand, it was the means by which God brought about our blessed redemption. Well, after each of the first four seals, we saw the four horsemen come out by angelic decree, right? A seal opened, and an angelic voice cries, come. The fifth seal is actually not this way. In the case of the fifth seal, we actually hear the cries of those martyred for the Christian faith. Verses 9 and 10. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Right, I think that martyred Christians are certainly in view here, but I don't think it's just them. Uh, G.K. Beale argues that while literal martyrs are certainly in mind, he also says this, but more likely, slain is metaphorical for those is metaphorical, and those spoken of represent the broader category of all saints who suffered for the sake of their faith. Right, so the people in view here are not just those martyred for the sake of their faith, it's also anyone who's been persecuted for the sake of his name. We hear their cries, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. I want you to consider the injustices that have taken place in our nation whose effects we still experience to this day. Just yesterday, I read a statistic that said nearly 1% of Americans are incarcerated and in prison or jail. Or another article I read which stated that over 63 million children since 1973 have been aborted. And many of us 
when we hear these things, can't help but cry, how long? How long? I want you to notice who these martyrs are crying to. Right? They even say it, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? You see, the saints who had been slain may not have understood the reason for the calamities they endure, but they knew the God who allowed them. They knew that Jesus is sovereign Lord, holy and true. They knew that the lamb who was slain was good. The response of the lamb is interesting, right? He doesn't check his watch and say maybe about a generation or maybe about a thousand years or 10,000 years. Rather, the lamb's response is to clothe the saints in white and command them to rest a little while. Again, G.K. Beale says this, the exhortation to rest means that the saints in heaven are to be patient in their desire for God to answer their request. The assurance that God will unquestionably punish the evil world becomes a motivation for Christians to persevere in their witness through suffering on earth, knowing that they are key players in helping establish the kingdom in the same ironic fashion as their Lord. Friends, the Lamb's answer to the question, how long is to clothe the justified saints in white? Right, The saints endured the trials that were set before them, and Jesus clothes them, and he says, rest a little longer. Rest a little longer. One day, all things shall be made right, yet until that day, Jesus brings rest to those who cry out to him. Jesus brings rest to those who cry out to him. Finally, the opening of the sixth seal. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and sun became black as sackcloth, and full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Friends, the uh, last verses of Revelation chapter 6 teaches us that there will be an end to history. The black sun, the falling stars to earth, every mountain and island removed. Even the immovable things of this earth cannot prevent the hand of God from moving them. And so I'll conclude with this quote from G.K. Beale. If the most permanent and stable parts of creation will be shaken to their roots, so will those living on the earth. Their earthly securities ripped away so that they will appear spiritually naked before God's judgment seat on the last day. They will try unsuccessfully to hide their destitute condition from the divine gaze and to escape from the coming wrath. They will, they will even rather die from the falling rocks and mountains than face God's judgment. 
the gracious and gentle lamb who offered tender care in verses 9 through 11 will one day return. Yet when he returns, he returns with wrath. It is one thing to be judged by a king who is not good. It is all the more awful to be judged by a king who sees all things perfectly, who enacts perfect and righteous judgment. Friends, the Lord has given us texts like Revelation 6 because he wants you to know that he is sovereign over the calamities you endure. And so I invite you to cry out to him, lest on that last day we are left without excuse. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that apart from your spirit, our hearts and our minds are unable to see you. I ask you to illumine the hearts and minds of those listening today. Help us to know and to trust that you are the sovereign Lord who rules over all the calamities we endure. Help us to know that you are good and that there are those even in this room who do not yet trust that you are good. Help them to see and to trust your son Jesus, the sovereign lamb. Amen.